The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. Amelia Earhart. You're listening to the Real Estate Investor Show, episode number 16. Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co hosts, Liz and Andressa. Today's guest, Whitney Nicely, is an expert property investor, speaker, and real estate coach. Before quitting her nine to five, Whitney scraped by on $24,000 a year, working a desk job and living on her parents' couch. Now she owns more than $2.5 million in real estate assets. On today's show, we have a lot of fun with Whitney discussing lease options, which allows you to control property without having to put any of your own money down or needing good credit. Welcome, everyone, back to the Invest Her uh, podcast. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. And we're excited to have you back on today's show. We're going to uh, jump into our lovely guest. Hey, Whitney. Hey, y'all. And uh, we're really excited to have her on our show. We have a lot of, a lot of really fascinating pieces of real estate we're going to get into in a moment. But we always like to kind of share and just kind of connect with our audience at the beginning as well. And, you know, the first thing that I'm, I personally am working on is to be really in a state of gratitude when I start the day. And, and I always knew that, but I'm actually trying to create a practice around it. And I woke up today and I really felt grateful for all of you listeners out there. And it's growing. And I just really appreciate the people, the women that are listening to the show and the women that are sharing the show with the women in their life so that we kind of collectively can all become more financially free and independent and, and balanced. So I just, I really appreciate uh, everyone listening and, and, and the women that are, are taking time out of their busy schedules. Um, and I'd also really, um, would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes and, you know, just put a rating there, whatever you think, and give us a review. We'd really appreciate that. That's growing, uh, you know, steadily, which is awesome. But we just love, if you like the show and you appreciate it, just you know, put a little note out there. Hey, this is where it's useful for you. So I just wanted that, to mention that. That's cool. I want to pick back on that. Our investor community, a lot of other women are stepping in and sharing their thoughts, sharing their struggles. And I think that creating a community is all about that. You know, we are so used to seeing Facebook, all the beautiful pictures about things that are going right. And we are not used to talk about the challenges and how can we support each other. So feel free to join the community as well. It's a closed group. Um, for only women who invest in real estate, where we're looking to empower you to move forward and create that strong group where we can support each other and lean in into each other. Awesome. So thank you for that too, Andressa. So Whitney, nicely, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be really fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have tons of questions for you, of course, but we'd love to, you know, connect with our, our guests and just understand a little bit what compelled you, you know, to, to jump into real estate investing. And I, I love your background, but I'd love for you to share that with us. And, you know, what in particular inspired you to take the leap and get into real estate investing? So my mom has always been a real estate investor since I can remember. She's had rental houses and, you know, she started the way a lot of people, especially a lot of women think that you have to get started. She bought a house. She moved into it. They lived there for like 10 years. They bought another house, but instead of selling the first one, she just started renting it. 
So she had that income coming in and then eventually she had a free and clear house. And then they did that again, but then she was able to save up enough money that she could just start buying rental houses and not having to move into them. So I remember as a kid collecting rent checks out of the mailbox. I just knew <laughs> that money came in the mailbox since I was little bitty. I didn't realize bills came in the mailbox until I was in my twenties. And I was sitting with my mom one time because I went to work for the family company after I graduated college and mom was making a deposit of all our rent checks. And I was like, wait a second. So people pay you every month and you don't actually have to like do anything for that. And she was like, uh, well, you got to buy something, but yeah, they send me money every month. And that's, you know, how we make ends meet around here. I was like, well, how do I get people to pay me every month? And she said, again, she was like, you have to buy something. And that was it. She was just like, figure it out. Go buy something. And I was like, <laughs> all right, thanks. <laughs> so I started buying land because the only way I knew, like it never crossed my mind to go borrow money or to go to a bank to get a loan. I thought you needed to have cash and then you would buy a house. But I didn't want to just start with houses. I wanted to start with something that I could afford and kind of you know, gamble a little bit on. So I bought a piece of land. It was a half acre piece of dirt, industrial dirt in the city of Knoxville. And I was able to rent out the driveway that connected to that land for, I paid 1500 for the half acre, $1,500 cash tag and title all mine. And then I ran the driveway for 250 a month. So in six months I got all my money back <laughs> and now I rent the driveway and the land for 750 a month. I get 250 for the driveway and 500 for the half acre. So I get 750 a month on a $1,500 investment. And that's when I was like, all right, that's nice. Let's do more. <laughs> those, are, those are some great returns. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's, that's really starting small and starting with what you have and then growing and learning and doing more and trying some things. And I didn't know that it was good to get industrial land when I bought that. I didn't know that I was going to be able to rent the driveway when I raised my hand at the auction. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I was willing to put $1,500 on myself to figure it out. You invested in yourself, right? In I your did. Education. I did. It just had a chunk of land attached to it. And I was learning from the school hard knocks. My mom didn't have a plan. She didn't have a strategy. She was just winging it, throwing spaghetti against the wall. And that's what I was doing when I got started too. Luckily, I, I've moved past that. <laughs> but I, I still think that there's, there's a lot of ladies out there that also think that when they look at their financials, they're, they're saying, I don't have enough cash to, to get started. And they still have the mentality of, oh, I need to have perfect credit score. I need to have a job so I can qualify for a loan and I need to have savings. But if I spend those savings in this property and it doesn't work out, and then I don't have the savings anymore. And then like the analysis paralysis kick in and they don't get started. So a lot of, a lot of the ladies, uh, I remember when I got started, the overthinking on having wanting to have the entire plan <laughs> right like a to b like a straight line right a to b what exactly what's going to happen and that's not what it is there's so many curves and things going around so for those ladies out there Whitney what would you tell them 
what actions they need to take for the first action that they need to take in order to break down that analysis paralysis that they're going through right now? Well, the first thing you can do is drive for dollars and see how many empty houses are around you. See how many for rent signs you can find. See how many for sale by owner signs you can find because you're going to pay for gas, but otherwise it's, it doesn't cost anything. And you will see the opportunity that is out there because, you know, we've been brainwashed. I mean, the government and banks and mortgage companies have spent millions of dollars to convince us we need good credit and we need a savings account and we need them to be able to buy houses. Like when I tell people that you don't need any of that, they're like, no, 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 no. And it's because I'm fighting a huge marketing scheme. Mm. But when they really see that it's possible, when they get in and they get involved, they go driving for dollars. They start talking to sellers. I've got a little button that says, I buy houses. Start wearing that button and people start coming up to them and saying, hey, I got a house. You want to come see it? Then they're like, holy crap, I think this is going to happen. But you have to start that momentum. You have to start telling people you want to buy houses. You have to be willing to look a little bit silly. But all of that starts to work on your behalf. And that, I mean... A lot of times it's also the free stuff or the cheap stuff that you can do that creates the best momentum for you because it's in your head. Once you can get out of your head and you can see, you know, action taking place and goals starting to get achieved and milestones starting to be marked off, it's a whole lot easier to keep that action rolling, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what's one of the, one of the most fascinating uh, parts of your background too, and your expertise, Whitney, is your um, expertise in lease options and also what you're talking about with owner financing. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about what that is in, in, a, in a brief way. And also then, you know, how investors listening to this, women can uh, utilize those strategies. Cause those are, those are strategies that not every investor uh, is familiar with, not only familiar with, but utilizing. So I explain a lease option as a really fancy rental agreement that also gives me the opportunity to buy the house in the future. All right. It's just a really fancy rental agreement that also gives me the first right of refusal. I have however long into the future to buy this house and I can rent it in the meantime. Now with that, I've got an agreed upon purchase price and I've got a set monthly rent. If I choose to sell it for more, that's my right. If I choose to rent it for more, that's my right also. And I, I, I go on even further because people are like, yeah, but who's going to agree to that? Are the banks okay with this? And because it is just a really fancy rental agreement with the purchase and sell agreement attached to it, let me ask y'all, do you know anybody with a mortgage on their house? Oh, Yes. Absolutely. Do you know anybody who rents their house out even though they have a mortgage on it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you know anybody that has a mortgage on their house and decides to sell it? Yeah. Yep. Like none of that is weird, is it? No. So a lease option isn't weird either because all I'm doing is renting it and buying it. And does the bank care if they get checks from you or from me, as long as they get their money, they don't care who sent it. Now, when you're getting a mortgage and you're going through all that pre-approval stuff, they really care. But once you're in it, 
they don't care who makes the payments. They don't care if you rent it and you write the check. They don't care if I send the check in every month. They don't care as long as they get their money. So a couple of questions. Who would use this strategy? What, what, when, would, when would an investor utilize this strategy of lease options? So I, the very first house I did with a lease option, the people had bought their retirement home and they moved in and they loved it and they were as happy as could be. And then in less than a year, their daughter came home pregnant and the house wasn't big enough for four people and they were under a time crunch to find a bigger place. Okay. So people in transition, people motivated to move on from their current residence. Okay. Another group of people, and this is a real group of people because how many retired folks have pregnant daughters that come home, right? (laughs) Tired landlords, people that are tired of toilets and tenants, people that are tired of the upkeep, they're tired of the text messages, they're tired of the excuses, and they just want to go golfing every day. Tired of toilets and tenants. I love that. Can I start saying that? Yeah. I love that. I love that. It can, I love that. It can be a title. Yeah. <laughs> like a blog. I love it. I love it. Tired, tired of toilets and tenants. I, I love that. Sorry. I have bandit signs you. that say tired of toilets and tenants. Oh, I love houses. Oh, I love it. Sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that was like. No, it's good. But how many people, and especially for the people listening, how many people do you know that are landlords and they complain and complain and complain about these stupid houses? And then they let the house go to pot because they just don't care about it anymore. Or people move out and they're like, you know what, F it. I'm just going to make the payments for a couple months. I'll deal with it later in the summer. And then they don't. And then a year goes by and they've made payments on an empty house. And then they're ashamed of themselves (laughs) because they've made payments on an empty house for a year. And they know they like, they know better, but they didn't do better because again, they got something else going on in their life that they'd rather be dealing with in this house. That's so true. Another day I went to see a property and this lady just lost her husband a couple of months ago. And this house was was vacant, and we came in, and one of the windows were like shuttered, and and there was mold inside. And she's like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know what happened here. I just came here like last month." Yeah, right. And and I was like, and I went to the backyard, like the grass took over. Everything was just like. Don't think so. I think this has been this way for a long, long time just because her priorities were, you know, her husband and, and, and other things, not that. And that happens yeah. all the time, all the time. So tired landlords are perfect people to do lease options. And because they're in real estate, they've probably heard of it before. They may have even done it a time or two before. And the greatest thing about tired landlords that I found is sometimes they paid cash for the house and there's not a mortgage. So then they become seller financing or owner financing deals. I see. So it's like, I'm sorry, Liz. So it's just a combination of seller finance and lease option. Well, seller financing or owner financing is only done on free and clear houses because the seller actually becomes the bank and finances the property to you. The lease option is done when there's a mortgage in place. The nuts and bolts look the same. Yes, yeah, that's the paperwork what I'm like. is different. Yeah, got it. So, what kind of contract? Just to, not to get too nitty gritty, um, but you know, 
would you're saying a fancy uh, rental agreement? Is that something that if if you know um, our listeners are you know our listeners are hearing this and saying you know I want to put something in place? Is that something that's helpful to get like an attorney to review, or is that something that's just really a rental agreement? If it's work, they already have something like that they would put in place, or what are your what are your usual suggestions around that piece of it to protect I, themselves? I love attorneys. I love accountants. I love insurance agents. I love anybody that's going to protect me, my assets, and my tail. Yeah. I want an attorney to look at every single deal that I do. And I have a, what we call a one pager. So it gets all the nuts and bolts out on one page. So it's not confusing. It's not overwhelming. We can sign it with the seller. I can use the exact same one to sign with my tenant buyers. And then I turn those one pager with each over to my attorney and he gives me like 30 pages back. And then I take it back to both of them and we sign and I give them the keys. I start making the payments. Everybody lives a happy life. Got it. Whitney, and what, what type of neighborhoods are, you, are ideal for a lease option? Does that really matter or it doesn't? Uh, middle class neighborhoods, wherever the bubble is in your honey hole, wherever everybody's wanting to buy, you know, in, my, in Knoxville, if you have something between 120 and 150, it's going to sell. If you have something 165 or 95, but that's where our, I don't want to say bubble, but that's where our, you know, bell curve is, is mm -hmm. between 120 and 150. So it's normal houses, three bedroom, two bath with a two car garage. It's regular houses that lots of people would love to move into. Got it. it. It doesn't matter the numbers. I have ladies in California and their bell is 500 to 750. It doesn't matter as long as it's what people are, you know, looking for. If I'm an investor listening to this, why would I choose to do a lease option over just buying it outright from that, from that tired landlord and literally just buying it from them and I want to control it myself? Uh, what's the benefit of doing a lease option versus that strategy? Well, you do control it when you do the lease option. Okay. And you don't have to put any money down. You don't have to risk anything. You don't have to bring on private money partners. You don't have to risk your life savings. You literally just start saying, you know what, I'll start making these payments in about three months. How about that? And they'll say, okay, great. Because a lot of sellers are also in the position where they got to move and they don't know how long the house is going to be on the market, but they can budget three months. They can skip a vacation. They can, you know, put off redoing their new deck. They can do a lot of things just knowing that they have three more months, whereas the way they've been doing it, who knows when the end of the tunnel is. Got it. And this is more, and Whitney, is this more single family rental strategy or have you seen this done with like, because we're, we're a little more in the multifamily, uh, you know, area where our focus is. So I'm trying to get my head around just, you know, selfishly, <laughs> can, can you do this strategy with, with multifamilies or have you seen it more on the single family, you know, uh, rental process? So lease options are a single family strategy. Master lease options are a multifamily strategy because ideally when I do my single family houses, they're empty. But when you are looking at an apartment complex or a duplex or a quadplex or, you know, something else, you want it to be full. So when you do a master lease option, you are inheriting somebody else's renters. You're inheriting somebody else's tenants. And then when their lease comes up, then you can renegotiate and raise the rent or kick them out or do whatever. But you're literally like freezing the property and taking it over right here and now. 
Awesome. I have a triplex that I bought in Morristown, Tennessee. We found it on Craigslist and it, they were tired, uh, tired landlords. They lived in Florida. They wanted to golf every day and they didn't want to deal with people texting them about this property. They didn't want to have to have a handyman. They didn't want to have to do any of it. They were asking 125. We offered them 120 if they would finance it to us for like 10 years. And then we'd have a balloon and we cash them out. And they were good. I had the attorney write up all the paperwork. And then the husband decided that he didn't really want to finance it. He didn't really want monthly payments. So we renegotiated and we actually bought it for 89000 <laughs> because we cashed them out. With this strategy too, when I think of it, it's always helpful to know like the benefits, which sounds like there's a ton. What are the challenges, right? So if I'm listening to this and it's something that I, I you know, I, I have the neighborhoods I want to go into, I'm starting to drive for dollars. It's a way to get in with little, little money or no money down. I, I think that's a f- phenomenal strategy, but what are the pitfalls, right? I'm an investor listening to this. What are the pitfalls, the top three pitfalls that I need to be aware of so I can avoid making mistakes? Because you know, there's tons of them in every niche and every strategy. <laughs> so what would you say are the biggest pitfalls women want to be aware of as they jump into maybe this, this strategy of lease options? I hate to make guarantees, but I would bet the farm on even myself. If I walked into a seller's house and I was like, hey, you want a lease option this house to me? They'd be like, no, bye. <laughs> they don't even know what that is, but they're right. not interested. Not interested, not after it, nothing. Another problem that I see is people go in and they are so focused on the house and how can I get this house and what is my offer and what am I going to do and then what am I going to do and then what am I going to do where you need to be helping your seller. You need to be worried about what you're giving as value, not what you're going to get back. So when you get out of your head and you start talking to the seller and you just become a woman and BFF with this chick, especially the lady that you were talking about. If you find out her real problem is that her husband controlled this house. And now that when she thinks about it, she thinks of him and that makes her sad. That's her problem. Is she's sad? It's not about the house. No. Yeah. So that's, that's the other problem is people want to focus on, the terminology and we get really excited because we've learned this new term and we've learned all these great things and we want to go show everybody. And I used to do this. I'd have little mini real estate seminars in people's kitchens. They did not care. They didn't want to do what I was doing. They had a problem. They wanted me to listen to what they had going on and help them out of their problem so they could have a happy life again. The house is usually not the problem. Mm. So you were saying that that relationship, you need to yep. dig, dig deeper and build a rapport and with genuine interest in resolving people's problems. So it's a win-win situation. Always. Got it. So from, from the homeowner's perspective, what are their top three most frequent questions? What do they ask you? Um, do they ever ask, for example, do I need to tell my bank that I'm doing this in case they call the loan? They're not going to call the loan because this isn't a subject two deal. In subject two, you were taking title to the property. Mm-hmm. And that's what sends up the red flag at the bank to say, uh-oh, something's weird. In a lease option, we're just renting it. 
Got it. We can file that paperwork against the house, like a lien against the house, because we're getting first right of refusal, but it doesn't bother the bank. Now, people will say, well, how do I know that the payments have been made? And I said, well, you just log into your bank account like you do now, look at your mortgage, and you'll see that, you know, by the fifth of the month, I made the mortgage payment. I don't need your login. I don't want that. All I want is a paper copy of your last statement just to verify the balance you owe to make sure that I'm paying that or a little bit more, but I don't want to pay less than what they owe. Right. Yeah. And verify what the actual payment is. And so that I can verify what the interest rate is and if it's going to adjust. Any other common questions? Um, they want to know what I'm going to do with the property. Am I going to move into it? Nope. I'm going to use it like a rental. I'm going to use it like I own it and I'm going to let somebody else move in here. But again, when you spin that, you answer their question and then you end with, and you can go on and do whatever you want to, because if a tulip breaks, I'll take care of it. If somebody leaves in the middle of the month, I'll still make the next monthly payment. Don't you worry about it. You deal with whatever it is they told you was their problem. Winnie, Winnie, in this strategy, do you tend to change the insurance in any way? Or does the insurance remain the same and doing business as usual? The seller gets a landlord policy because again, it's a really fancy rental agreement. Gotcha. I get a rider policy because I'm not technically the owner, but I do have a vested interest. I have a huge umbrella policy that I carry. I have liability that I carry and then I get riders on everything. And I actually keep 10 houses at all times, no matter what, because you get a bulk rate on your insurance if you have 10 or more houses, at least in Tennessee, I know. Awesome. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the mindset. We can get knowledge about real estate everywhere, like on the palm of our hands. And a lot of folks out there um, keep reading and taking classes, paying huge amounts of uh, money on courses, but they don't pull the trigger. I remember that when I got started a few years ago, one gentleman stood up and he said, I'm, I'm getting my knowledge. It's been, you know, two years and I'm almost there. Once I know everything I need to know, then I will feel comfortable pulling the trigger. And then this guy said, the longer you take to pull the trigger, lower are the chances that you will pull the trigger. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. And I want to ask, are y'all moms? Yes. I'm not. Okay. I don't have any kids. But one thing that I do know about a pregnancy is there's a due date. And whether you're ready for that kid to come out or not, it's coming. You can't delay that one. (laughs) Right? So I say, I tell my students this all the time because this makes sense. I'll give you nine months to study and incubate and pray and practice and do whatever you want to, but you have a due date and you better be taking massive action because that portfolio is coming to you, whether you're ready for it or not. And just like kids, how do you know what a kid's going to do in three weeks? How do you know what a kid's going to do in six years? How do you know what a kid's going to do by the time they turn 18? You can't. And so that's why women frustrate the fire out of me because they love being moms. (laughs) Right? They love being moms, but they don't want to be investors because they don't know what's going to happen. Are you kidding me? That's what makes it fun. That's why we keep popping babies out. It's fun. That's why we keep buying houses. It's fun. And it brings funds in, whereas kids keep taking funds out. 
Whitney, I first off, I love frustrate the fire out of. I, I'm stealing that from you, and, <laughs> and I'm stealing the toilets and tenants. I, I just, I, I just love those two. And I, if no one gets anything at nothing out of this call, this, uh, this podcast, this today, that's 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 uh, awesome. Now, um, so many, so many great pearls of, of wisdom you're saying. I, I think what you're touching upon, Whitney, too, is really important about women's context. And, you know, and I, I've been through other personal growth weekends and they talk a lot about what is your context? What is your way of being so that you get the result you're looking for? And you just said something so helpful. This should be fun. This should be, now, is it always going to go exactly the way you want it to go? Absolutely not. I can go off for 15 hours about the thing, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're not going to go there. We're going to stay positive. No, but what we are going to do is talk, you know, I love that. Like stay in the context. What is your context? So as you're thinking about this, oh, this is going to be hard. Well, that's what you're going to get, right? I mean, and I love that idea of being, making this fun. Wouldn't that be nice, you know, and investing in fun. People don't always think of those two together. And I just, I think that's wonderful because it's really a context. It's a way of being so that you get what you're looking for. So I think that also speaks to what a lot of the gurus and the people that are up preaching and selling these big packages is they don't make it fun and they don't put it in a context that women can understand. Right. Absolutely. And it should be fun and it should be something that you could actually understand. It shouldn't be complicated. It's never easy, but nothing in life worth having is easy, right? But it can be fun and it can be simple. And yeah, there's going to be some hard days and yeah, it's going to take some work, but, I mean, my marriage has hard days and it takes works too. It's still what, fun. Which lease option deal that you've done, because you've done a ton, was, <laughs> was, was challenging, but you were able to turn it around to be more fun and simple? I'm curious. You know, what, which one for you presented some really, you know, big challenges, but you moved through it and you were able to get a great outcome on, on the other side? I have two right now that I call boomerangs because these houses keep coming back to me. So my goal, when I, when I buy these houses with a lease option, let's do a little bit of math. So if I buy the house for $100,000, because we're in a make-believe world here, and it's worth $120,000, when I sell it, I get to make $20,000 in the back-end payday, right? Mm-hmm. But on this $100,000 house, when I buy it, when I take it over, when I get my lease option, I don't put any money down, Right? But people will pay me ten, twenty, sometimes forty thousand dollars to move into a hundred thousand dollar house. So I get that money right up front, whether it's ten, twenty, or forty thousand dollars, right? And then every month when I make my payment, I have to make that, but I can rent it for more. And my goal is three hundred dollars a month more than my mortgage payment. So I'm making money on these things three different ways. But I really want the people moving in to cash out so I can get that last $20,000 payday. Well, I've had three houses that have boomeranged on me and I've had three different people move in and out of that house. So I keep getting the front end payday. I keep getting the monthly payday, but I have not got that back end payday yet. And a lot of people are, and I, I could do this. I could so do this because I've got these houses for 10 years before I have to cash them out or I'll have balloon payment due. On a $100,000 house, if I have somebody new in every year and they all give me $10,000, I'll actually have the money to cash these deals out. And then I'll have a free and clear house that I don't have any money invested in, that I could still sell for $120,000 or that I could rent for $1,000 a month and keep that as income, right? 
So I have two houses that this has happened to me three times on. And the first time it happened, I was really freaked out because um, the lady that moved in actually gave me $40,000 to move in as a non-refundable option fee. 30 of it was to go towards the purchase price. The first 5,000 that anybody gives me is just my money for my marketing, my website, my hassle, my energy, all that. And then she paid six months rent in advance. So on the seventh month, she texted me and she was like, cause she moved to Tennessee from Indiana or Illinois or some I state up there. And when she came down, she was going to get a job. She didn't get a job. So on the seventh month, she texted me and she was like, Hey, I didn't get a job. I'm not going to have rent this month. And I was like, mm. <laughs> um, you can't have your money back. It was non-refundable. And if you don't have a job, you can't pay. You're going to have to move out. And she was like, yeah, I figured you'd say that. So my sister just got a house in South Carolina and I'm just going to move in with her. I'll be out by the end of the month. Did you just give me $40,000 to live in a house for six wow. months? Wow. Wow. And I was like, okay. So I put it back out in the market uh, in the eighth month. By the ninth month, again, nine months, I had somebody that gave me $10,000 to move into it. And at first I was like, dang it. You know, I got 40,000 the first time. <laughs> now I'm only getting 10. Oh, problems, problems, problems. I tell you. <laughs> I made $50,000 on a house that I had no money invested in, in less than a year, y'all. Wow. Like, and so you got to know that sometimes houses are going to come back and sometimes you're going to have people move out and that's just, you know, how it goes and you got to be ready for that. And, you know, luckily I get the houses back in either as good condition or better. Sometimes I had another boomerang house that when it came back, they'd added two bedrooms to the basement and I was able to sell that one when it boomeranged uh, a, people were wanting to move in um, to a neighborhood. They were moving from Virginia to Tennessee and they were going to buy the next house that came available in her sister's subdivision. My house was the next house that came available. Didn't matter what price I was asking. They just bought it. Wow. So it, it happens. They're going to come back. And as long as you have a long time before you have to cash out your seller, then you can mentally afford to go through a bunch of them. And I'll tell you too, out of 57 deals, I've only had one cash out and get a mortgage. Wow. Most of them boomerang and come back to me. When I very first started, I wasn't staying in the middle. I was just getting that 10 or $20,000 up front. And then I was getting out of the way. So I had a lot of houses that came back to the seller and then they ended up just selling it. Um, but one of those houses, when it came back to the seller, they called me and they said, just keep it this time. We don't want to have to deal with it. So, so Whitney, you are a wife, you're a stepmom, mm -hmm. you are a coach, you're an mm -hmm. investor, mm -hmm. uh, you have a lot of hats, you know, and mm -hmm. as, you know, part of this podcast is about inspiring women to have it all and be it all and balance it all. So, you know, what works for you? How do you, how do you do it all? My husband lives in Georgia and I live in Tennessee. And so and he works in Florida, actually. So when during the week, I can work, 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 and I can give it 110%. And then on the weekends, we have his kids, and I can take off on the weekends, and I can give that 110%. But, you know, in the beginning, I would be at ball games 
talking to sellers on the phone and then walking back out and talking to three buyers and missing half the game. But I, I mean, that's just what I had to do to get it done. So no matter what it is you're doing, you just have to give it 110%. And if you have to be tired, you just have to be tired. If you have to get up early, you have to get up early. And you just have to keep going because the only way that you're going to actually get to where you want to go is to keep going and go through the bumps and go through the bruises and, you know, cry on the kitchen floor if you have to. I've done that several times. But you just have to keep going. Got it. Do you have any routine that is being working well for you to keep you your sanity? Yes, I've started having um, sellers and tenant buyers text me instead of call me. <laughs> okay. Because I can handle three or four or five texting, you know, back and forth and still be halfway engaged in the game. Or if they text and I'm at dinner because we have a no phones at dinner policy. I can pop back and nobody, like if somebody texts you and it takes you an hour to get back to you, nobody cares about that. But this phone thing, people expect you to call and they expect you to answer. But but whatever. So the texting, texting has helped a lot. And that's free. That's basic. That's just, you know, something that helps me keep my sanity for sure. That's wonderful. Whitney, you have so much, uh, words of wisdom, right? So both on the mindset and both on the, the and I lo- what I love about what you're teaching your students is that you're, you made a complex topic. You know, I've been, to, I've heard courses on lease options and it's like a four day course. Like you were really pretty, pretty, you know, pretty to the point in, in a, you know, it's the short time we spent together. So I love how you break it down and make it simple. And uh, so that's awesome. So you're up to some great things. The, the women listening to this, the, the folks listening to this, where can they learn more about all the like, amazing things you're up to? Uh, and, you know, because you're doing some great stuff from an educational perspective. We'd love to give you a chance to share that with our, our listeners. You're welcome to go to WhitneyNicely.com. Whitney like Houston, nicely, like nicely done. <laughs> or just, uh, you know, type Whitney Nicely into any search bar and there's a bunch of shit that'll come up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I love it. Before I get to the fabulous three, I have a question for you. What would the experience Whitney tell the real estate, inspiring real estate investor at the beginning? If you were to meet that Whitney that was thinking about investing, what would you tell her? Uh, Pretty much the same thing that my mom told me is to get out there and get started, figure it out, start buying something. You will figure it out. Keep going, get started, and keep growing. Cool. Awesome. So let's get the fabulous three. The first question is, what's the most transformational book you have ever read? Miracle in the Mountains. It's a book about Martha Berry. She, in 1902, she started teaching the mountain kids in North Georgia uh, Bible stories and hymns and started teaching them how to wash their hands and stuff. And then that grew into a school. And throughout the 19 teens, 20s and 30s, she would raise money and build this huge college that's now in Rome, Georgia, called Berry College. And it is actually, there's like 1,500 students. It's a tiny little college. But they've got the largest land campus in the world. Like no other college or campus in the entire world has more land than Little Berry College in Rome, Georgia. And she was 
a real estate investor who didn't know she was a real estate investor. She thought she was just teaching the mountain kids how to, you know, succeed in life. And she had a heart for the people for sure. Wow. That's beautiful. So the second question will be, what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life? <laughs> okay. If that's even possible. <laughs> it's possible. So, so the best thing that I do is invest in myself and not just learning, but actually just being quiet and being by myself, especially like when things get crazy, just sitting still and knowing that it's going to be okay. Because y'all know as well as I do that sometimes these real estate deals go crazy, but if you'll just not answer the phone or not answer an email somehow magically by in the morning, it'll get itself fixed. <laughs> sure. Right? And that happens all the time that you're, you're forcing something, right? But if you will just let it simmer, it'll go. And so I, <laughs> I get my nails and my toes done every other month or every other week, every other week, I get a facial every other week. I get my hair done once a month. I get a massage once a month. I routinely ride around the car by myself, just no radio, no nothing, just breathing and just being and just reflecting and letting things be okay or letting things work themselves out instead of me trying to force everything and fix everything immediately. So I, I pour a lot into myself because I get a lot back out of that. And I only get this. Like, I can't trade this in for a new model, right? So I take very good care of this body. That's awesome. And the last question is, which woman, famous or non, has inspired you the most? I love Ivanka Trump. I love her. Um, I love her because she you know, got into modeling when they said you can't be a model. She got into real estate when they said women aren't in real estate. She's done a lot of cool things and she's used her name, but she's also lived through a lot of bad things because of her name. And she's yep. just so poised and so graceful. And I just love her. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. You start to see people and their grace come out. I love that word grace, you know, which is what you were saying a moment ago. So Whitney, thank you so much. You um, added so much value to our, our community here and just your words of wisdom and your way of being and your context. And I love it. You know, you're gonna, I'm going to just steal your phrases and use them all day today. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. You're welcome to them. But seriously, thank you so much for your time and, and making some time to connect and, and be on our show. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Thank you so much, Whitney. I have a lot of fun with you and I wish everybody can, can see through and can feel your energy because I think that's contagious. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thanks, y'all. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.